December 1st, 2022. This morning's class and the classes throughout the week are donated in honor of Sarah Cohen, Stephen and Sophia Cohen, Albert and Marcel Shammy, Gail Mishan, and in memory of Jack Mishan, Nathan, and Marlene Cohen. We're in Masechet Sanhedrin on Daf Pe'alef Amud Bet, and if you count from the bottom up, it's 12 lines up. Three words before the end of the line, the Gemara is picking up on the latter half, the second part of the Mishnah. It said in the Mishnah, describing what the kippah was in a circumstance, a situation where the Bet Din, because of the wrongdoing of the person, is not able to put them to death. The person hasn't done something that's liable for death penalty of Arba Mitot Bet Din. But nonetheless, it's a circumstance. We discussed several of such and the details that are inherent to each. Uh, where the person is a danger to society and the hachamim understood it either as a masoret, a halachal Moshe Misinai, or as their prerogative. They put this person in a small area known as a kippah. They feed this individual specific foods to quickly bring to their demise. Effectively, they cause this person's death, but they don't do it directly. How is that done specifically? Well, our Mishnah over here, the second one on the page, told us, The person's given small amounts of bread and a little amount of water, it sounds like, over a short period of time. Now, the Gemara very quickly picks up on what seems like a discrepancy, because at the top of the page, we had a Mishnah also talking about Kippah. At the end, that's four lines from the top of the page, or three lines from the top, it says, over there in that Mishnah, it said over there, again, in the context of placing a person in this confined area known as a kippah, the way you'd bring forth a rupture of his stomach is by feeding him barley. So which one is it? Is the person given small amounts of food or large amounts of barley? What's that? I understand. Oh, so you're saying it's, it's the same thing. But why a description over there in one way, a description over here in another way? All right, it says the Gemara, May de lo umayim lahatz, Hatam, Hatam means over there, meaning the earlier Mishnah, the Katane, where it says, Ma'achilin oto Again, the Gemara is just asking what seems like a simple but blatant contradiction. What is being fed to the person? Yes, Rabbi points out that uh, the bread may have been barley bread, so there's no contradiction in that respect. All right, but then why in one place mention it in one fashion, in the other, in another? Says the Gemara, Amarav Sheshat, Idi, both of these are true. What do you mean both are true? Which one are you feeding him? Uh, suggests Rav Sheshat, it was, a, it was a step after step process. Initially, Notrin lo lehamsar umayim lahat ad sheyuktan ma'ayano. Initially, or excuse me, ma'ayano, maybe it should be my read it initially as me'ah, but initially you give the person uh, small amounts of food so that his digestive system uh, closes down a bit. He gets used to, or she gets used to, eating less foods. Uh, they're given consistently over the course of several days just a small amount of money. There's a haktana, there's a, this uh, making small of their, I guess, digestive uh, uh, processes. Vahadar, and then afterwards, ma'achilino tosi'orin, Afterwards, given barley until uh, the the stomach ruptures. Effectively, you what's that? Effectively, uh, give me a second. Effectively, you've caused a quicker potentially, and uh, and uh, and Nathan adds maybe less painful 
process to this person's demise. Instead of overdoing a person who was perhaps perfectly healthy and had a regular digestive tract and so forth, and then just starting to slam them with si'urim, you got them conditioned to the fact that they're used to having smaller amounts of food. And then you gave them this dense, coarse food, this barley uh, diet, you've brought forth quicker and maybe less painfully their death. So really like It sounds it's uh, I mean, you know, well. Well, you missed all the mishnayot with regards to the Mitot. Those are very well curated as well. They are quick. This does take a little bit more time. It has to be indirect. I can't imagine the person is sleeping all that much in a place where they can't lie down, according to Hanumbam's understanding. So I think that's hurting them as well. I don't know exactly how much time it would take for this individual. No, but it's, but it's under specific circumstances. It's the person who was la kavishana, la kavishana, and then, uh, and then did sin. It's the person who, uh, on a hiyuv karet, it's the person who didn't have the hatra'ah, the person who didn't have the hadith. According to the big thing, sitting down, they can make it up. You know, there, there, is such, there is such a capability. We learned it earlier in the Masechet as well. The Beddin does have a certain authority, again, granted to it by the Torah and the people's recognition of it, to bring forth justice and righteousness in the ways that they see fit. You're right. There is, there is a fear that we could and should have of a certain corrupt nature, but there's also a certain trust that this is going to bring forth a certain, a certain uh, order and, uh, and, and appropriate conduct. Right, that's what we have in this Mishnah. The next Mishnah, if you weren't uh, sufficiently excited about different modes of uh, bringing forth the death to a person, aside from Arba Mitot Betin, this next Mishnah is perhaps a little bit more well-known with regards to one of uh, the details in it. But this, this, is, this is not after trial. Of course it's after trial. Oh, all after trial, yeah. The Gmar Deen was reached already. The Gmar Deen was that this person is a... Yes. And we're going to indirectly kill you. What's that? Mahloket in the past Gemara, whether you need a warning for Kippah or not. Yeah, exactly. That was a suggestion the Gemara. What's that? This is an interesting question. I'm uncertain. Dr. Masri asked me that yesterday. Has to be. Because otherwise it's educhi yata hazima. We wouldn't be able to accept. Anyway, the, the next Mishnah here deals with, again, a halakha that many of us know somewhat well, and that's the halakha of kanaim poginbo. Kanaim is a reference to uh, someone, who is, someone who is a kanai, is a person who is a zealot. And the circumstances, this Mishnah will tell us that without betin, without entrance into the court, people out on the street, out in the field, out in the real world who see an individual doing or individuals doing specifically wrong deeds, 
they have the ability, they're not obligated, they have the ability to put to death that individual or individuals who are doing it. Of course, the classic example, the only example in the Torah that we have for this is Pinehas, when he kills Kozbi and Zimri, we'll deal with the details of such as we get there in the Gemara. And now there are many important concepts that are gonna to have to be addressed over here, but again, it needs to be noted, when we talk about kanaim, these zealots, we're talking about something that's reshut. This is not a mitzvah. Earlier in our Masechet, on Dafa'in Gimal, we talked about rodef. Rodef means I see an individual who's about to do a sin like murder, I'm obligated to take down that person and kill them as an obligation. Over here in these issues, issues and situations that we're going to be dealing with, it's not an obligation, which means to say uh, you're not liable, so to speak, for doing the wrong thing if you don't kill the person in that circumstance. That, that's important to be noted at the onset. We're talking about kanaim, people who are charged to do the right thing, uh, but aren't obligated to do so. Says the Mishnah, Hagonev etakasva. So the first, I kind of got you charged for the person's doing this terrible deed. I don't even know what this means. The Gemara will wonder immediately, What's a kasva? Uh, but right now we just need to see a person who steals a kasva. All right, the first case. Hamikalel bekosim, and a person who curses. Um, it's not clear who he's cursing, how he's cursing, but there's kosim. We see the word sorcery or sorcerer. That's the second of our two mysterious cases. Third one is going to be the one we're familiar with, the habu'el aramit, and a person who has relations with a non-Jewish woman. Uh, we refer to that generically as an Aramit. It doesn't need to be an Armenian woman or an Aramean woman, rab- rather. It's rather any non-Jewish woman. Now, the Gemara Masechet Avodah Zaran Daf Lamidvav is careful to point out when we talk about Bo'el Aramit, we're talking about Befarhesya. That's our Gemara. But this is Befarhesya, the Gemara over there says. Befarhesya, we already defined as well. And Daf Dalid, it means in front of Ten Mi Israel. So you're dealing with specifically a public act of that uh, um, um, illegal relations with the non-Jewish woman. In all three of these cases, says our Mishnah, Kanaim Pog'in Bo. In all three of these cases, again, Kanaim, Zelots, Rashi explains in his words what it means to be a a Kanai, Rashi says, Bene Adam Kesherim Hamit Kanaim Kinatoshil Makom. People who are kosher, Yes, in all respects, or in many respects, who have this zealotry for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Right, those are the first three cases, each of which we'll have to deal with somewhat in the Gemara, at the very least to define them. And then the concept that people have the ability, and maybe even somewhat praiseworthy, to go and to be pogea. To be pogea means to kill them. Kohen, sheshimesh betum'ah. What if there's a Kohen who in the Mikdash, it's revealed or it's known to others, he's Tameh, that's Asur. You're not allowed to be Tameh in the Mikdash. The Kohanim need not and should not bring him to Bedin. Rather, Pirhekeuna is a reference to the younger children amongst the Kohanim, the younger ones, those who are still flowering. Many Ashkenazic Kehilot today, they have a Mosei Shabbat, the Pirche program. It's known as the Pirche program because it's the, for the Pirachim, for the young kids, Avotu Banim, that sort of thing. So Pirche Kehuna over here is a reference to say, you turn to the younger Kohanim, you say, you know what's going on with this guy? This guy's Be'isur involved in the Avodah. How terrible. Motzi'ino tohutz the Azara. They take him outside of the Azara. He shouldn't be in the Azara when he's in a Tameh situation. Azara, one of the sanctuaries, inner sanctuaries in the Mikdash. Umafsi'inet moho 
bigizrin or bigzirin, and then they knock out his head with gzirin, it's maklot, with different uh, sticks. They kill him. Another one of these types of kanaim pogain. And again, a, a me- where we have to imagine, we have to know and accept that these are situations that the hachamim are defining as, and again, we'll need some sourcing for each of these, but they're defining these as egregious circumstances. They're situations which the Torah hasn't given the ability explicitly for Din to put them to death, but kanaim pogirimbo, where'd the sourcing, where'd the grounding for this come from? What's that? It's a fourth case, but it's uh, you know a little bit more detailed, because a little bit more detailed. Over here, we tell you kind of how to do it. We prescribe it. We tell you that Pirchei should do it, so it's a bit different. Well, where's the sourcing on any of this? Where's the idea that so we could point to the parasha and the Torah of Pinechaz, but that's not a command. Rashi writes here on the Mishnah, Rashi suggests this is a tradition from Moshe at Sinai, from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Means the Hachamim are reporting over here traditions that they have. I'm trying to, we're trying to lend a little meaning to this and describing these as really out of the norm, terrible, could bring forth diminished stature and state of the people in a spiritual sense. But ultimately speaking, Masoret, Again, the Pinehas story very much is understandable. Over there, Kosbi and Zimri, right, Kosbi and Zimri, what you're dealing with is a circumstance, a situation wherein publicly, in the eyes of the people transgressing and sinning, I will talk about the details at a later point of the Gemara, uh, over there, that's going to diminish the spiritual status of the people. That's very easy to understand. Each of these others apparently are similar in that respect. Well, lastly, says the Mishnah, Zar Sheshimesh Bamikdash. What's the status, what's the halacha with regards to a Zar, a non-Kohen, who enters in and does service, worship in the Mikdash? And now we're getting back to you know, kind of regular conversation. Bi'akiva says the punishment of such an individual is henek. Of course, strangulation. Hachamim suggests it's rather mita shamaim. It's a heavenly decree upon this person how he'll be punished. What's that? Well, we'll deal with it in the Gemara. Uh, but, but, but on those, on that last case, let's uh, hold off on that. It's, you know, it's not. Firstly, it's not as exciting. But secondly, it's not as relevant to our initial conversations. We'll get to that in the Gemara. First. Sure, sure. In other words, the reason it's mentioned here, says Jesse, is because, ultimately speaking, it's another person who's puncturing Kiddushah in somewhat of a public fashion, which is uh, very much in line with the rest of them, uh, indeed. Says, says the Gemara, what's this kasva? The first case in the Mishnah was, Hagonevetak kasva, a person who steals the kasva. Kanaim pogimba. What's kasva? My kasva. Amar of Yehuda, kelesharet, or kelisharet. It's one of the utensils which was used in the Mikdash was the kasva. Vechen hu omer, and indeed he cites a pasuk from the Torah which refers to something called vet kesot hanesech velechamatamid ha'alav yihyeh. So the pasuk talks about kesot, and that's the kasva. What was the kasva? What is kesot? 
Rashi in his commentary to the Torah has two interpretations. The more famous one is it's a reference to the utensil that was put underneath or in between the lechem apanim. Of course, you had the uh, bread inside the mishkan, inside the mikdash, and in order to separate the loaves, in order to keep their uh, their freshness, so you'd have this like hollowed out tube which was split in half. You'd place that in between in order to give some space and air for the bread. So that's what you're referring to over here, and the reference then in the Mishnah is if a person enters into the Mishkan, person enters into the Mikdash, grabs this, and by extension any other one of the Kileshadit, any of the other utensils which are used for service and worship in the Mikdash, what's the Halakha? Kanaim Pogrimbo. Now the Torah doesn't per se tell us what to do. Halakha Moshe Misinai. Says the Gemara Dehechare Miza. It might be a tradition, but as we've referenced in the Gemara until now, in the last Gemara, we know it in general, I'll give you the analog to the Gemara at the beginning of Masechet Sukkah, oftentimes you have Halakha Moshe Misinai, the Gemara will still say, maybe there's a hint, so maybe it's somewhere the Torah implies this, even though I know I'm accepting that on the authority of tradition, Hechad answers the Gemara, you have a hint to it, it's Velo Yavo'u Lir'ot Et HaKodesh Vametu. Now this pasuk, as Rashi points out on our Gemara, in its Peshat, in its regular reading in the Torah, is referenced to as they were traveling through the, the, the Midbar, the Levim weren't supposed to look as they were encasing the different parts of the Mishkan. They were supposed to look away. Bala means to swallow. The swallowing of the sanctified, the holy items, they shouldn't be looking at that. That's inappropriate to do. What would happen if you did so? Vametu. That's the Peshat in the Pasuk, the Gemara. That's something else. That's a Gemara in Masechet Hagigah describes that you'll have diminished eyesight if you look at the Kohanim at that time. The Gemara doesn't fully explain it, but it says something about in between their fingers there's some sort of residual Shekhinah. Um, we have and should discuss it another time, but different. It's, it's a similar idea to not looking at something um, in terms of Kedushah as well. But anyway, so the Gemara over here, the Remez then is, it's not the Peshat, and Peshat and Pasuk is talking about looking at the Kele HaMikdash as you're traveling, as you're encasing them. Instead, the Derasha, as Rashi explains it, is to be Bolea again, means to swallow. So we're understanding it in the Torah, swallowing it in its cases. Over here instead, you swallow something as well when you steal it. I stole it and I swallowed Swallowed it into my pockets. I swallowed it into my possession. So the derashah is velo yavo lirot kibala et hakodesh. If you come to a situation where you're swallowing the kodesh, vametu. That's death. Is it a death penalty? Well, it's not a death penalty, but it's kanaim pogimbo. So that's the case in our Mishnah again. Says the Gemara onward, um, let's deal with the next case briefly. Says, If a person curses or blasphemes or does something with kosim, again, kosim is sorcerer. Okay. What are we talking about? So as the Gemara Taner of Yosef, the type of uh, statement that the person might make is, Yake kosem et kosmo. Rashi explains it as follows. It's a person who curses kosmo. Kosmo is a reference to the one who gave the authority of sorcery. Who gives the authority of sorcery? Other than the all-powerful. So it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The reference then is you're cursing out God. You're blaspheming. And you're saying that the kosim, the sorcerer who has yeah, somewhat dependent powers, he should in turn curse out the one who's given them those author that authority and powers. Strange way for a person to speak. 
I don't know the context at the time and sorcery, how people would uh, refer to such matters, but that's the statement. A person who would do such a thing, he's not directly, we saw earlier in our Masechet, the idea in the Halakha of a Megadeth. Megadef is a person who's directly Yake Yose et Yose. The Gemara told us he's using God's name to curse out God himself. Over here, it's not using God's name to curse out God. It's rather using the authority of a sorcerer in order to curse God. Now that's Kanaim uh, Pogimbo. Whereas Megadef is Skila. This is a case of Kanaim Pogimbo. Rabbanan Vitema Rabbar Meri. Either disagreeing or giving a different circumstance and way in which a person can appeal to the authority of Kosim. By the way, I'm explaining Kosem based on Rashi. Rashi says that it means a sorcerer. Arambam seems to have it as a reference to Avodah Zarah in some respect. Uh, but Kosem, generally speaking, is... To do Kesem is Asur. You don't get... We're joking about a Jew who says the sorcerer should curse the sorcerer, uh, the source of sorcery. That's it. We're not talking about doing Kesem. No, it means I'm in a conversation with you, I'm angry about something, and I use the authority of my fellow sorcerer to curse out God, the source of sorcery. That's it. No action, no anything, it's just Hamikalil Bekosem, it's speech. But how do you kill him if there's no act? In other words, you have to do it in the act, so how do you yeah, that's a, that's a wonderful question. So one, no, 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 it's a wonderful question. Maybe it's in the context of conversation. I will tell you the Gemara, it's, it's, you're, you're jumping to it like Musa. The next lines in the Gemara will tell us that it needs to be during the act, right? We don't know that yet. I, we, we all apparently do know that, but we're not supposed to know that yet. Now, the Gemara only mentions it in the context of the Bu'il Aramit. The circumstance of the relations. Is there a reason to distinguish? Harambam as well, the Aharonima Middayek and Harambam only mentions it in the context of Bu'il Aramit. There is a debate and discussion that maybe in all these other cases it doesn't need to be in the midst of the act, it could be afterwards as well. You'd have to discuss why that's the case, but you might be making a great claim. That's very hard to calculate, it's maybe impossible to do so otherwise. Um, Rashi seems to assume it's for all the cases, so it's not, not going to stand water. You'd have to say, yeah, it's in the midst of doing so. I, I understand the issue. Says the Gemara, Rabbanan Barmeri Amre, their statement with regards to what does it mean to be Kosem, Yakehu Kosem, Lo Ulkono Ulmikno. You turn to a person in a state of rage and you say, you know, you should be struck by my sorcerer or the sorcerer, and not only you, but the source of sorcery as well. Meaning HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So it's not just a curse of God, it's a curse of a human being as well. Kanaim Pogimbo. All right, all terrible cases we shouldn't have to deal with. Continues the Gemara. Habu'il Aramit. Again, that was the third of our cases, the one which, ironically, is the one that's most familiar to us. A person who has relations with a non-Jewish woman, again, our Gemara never says it explicitly. What's the halacha? Kanaim pogimbo. So this is what we're really talking about. What happens if, just a moment ago, what happens if in the midst of sin, he's not struck, he's not killed by those zealots? What happens afterwards? Now the assumption already, much as everyone else in the room assumed, is he's not put to death. All right, he's not put to death by us. What does happen to him? 
Does he have some sort of terrible ending in the hands of heaven? Do we have any tradition on this? Says the Gemara, Inshe Rav Ligmare. Rav forgot the teaching on this matter. It's rare that you see the Gemara so explicit about something like this. Gemara tells us, Rav forgot. He was asked this question from Rav Kahana. He didn't remember. Akaryuha le Rav Kahana behalmeh. That night, it sounds like, or maybe afternoon, Rav Kahana has a dream, and in the dream he's read a pasuk. Now, it's not a haidush per se, but it's a pasuk, and Rav Kahana understands this pasuk being read to him uh, in, his, in his stream of consciousness during his dream is significant to the conversation, perhaps, that he had with Rav. So he'll go back and report this to Rav, which of course will trigger in Rav a memory of, oh, now I remember what the halacha is. What was the pasuk that was read to Rav Kahana, the questioner of Rav in his dream? Ba'geda Yehuda v'to'eva ne'ista Yisrael birushalayim. Of course, to be boged means to be a person who uh, goes against, who's a traitor. Yehuda and Yisrael and to'eva ne'ista Ta'eva is something that's an abomination, so they've been traitors, they've committed abominable sins. Because Yehuda has profaned that of sanctity, of holiness, and had almost relations, but sounds like the daughter of a foreign god. Hard words in the Pasuk to specify what they're referring to, but it doesn't sound very good. Am Yisrael says the, the Navi Malachi is not doing very well, haven't done good things. But what's it referring to? Rav Kahana has this Pasuk read to him in his dream. As it turns, Ata, fourth line here in the Gemara, fifth line, Amar Le, he says to Rav, Hache Akaryun. This is the Pasuk which was read to me in my sleep. Now, the, the idea of being read to a pesukim in sleep is not so far in entire tradition. Of course, this is one of the early references. But you have later, hachamim, shebechol dor vador, who have revelations in dreams. It need not be nevuah. It's not even ruach hakodesh per se, unless you define those two words in one way or another. Uh, you have higher level. The Gemara describes sleeping as, uh, as, as not only a little bit of death, but also potentially a little bit of nevuah in that respect respect with regards to having a higher level comprehension. And what I mean by that is, and you might have experienced this in your own life, when you live your everyday, day-to-day, moment-to-moment existence, there's a lot of distractions and a lot of things which take your mind off of what you could and should be if it was in your conscious focused on. And when you go to sleep and you shut down all those other distractions, what lies in maybe your subconscious or maybe even in your conscious, you just weren't able to focus on it, strip away everything else and you zone in on it and it kind of becomes revealed to you. That doesn't necessarily mean it's coming from an external source per se. It might be from you. You knew that pasuk. You knew it, but you weren't able to focus on it in the moment. You were aware of this concept. You just weren't there. You're closing the business deal and you knew there was something like you couldn't figure it out. You went to sleep. It was a revelation, min hashamayim. I accept that. Oh, chokmah comes min hashamayim. I'm just explaining to you. Psychologically, it makes a lot of sense as well. You shut down your system with regards to all the other nonsense and you focused on the matter of, 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 of essence. That's what takes place over here, that's what takes place very often in, in people's lives in general with regards to just stripping away the distractions and focusing, ironically, sometimes done best during sleep. Rav now remembers his teaching 
which is an explanation of this pasuk, and in turn, an answer to that question. What happens if they weren't pogea, the kanaim, and the person who was, let's say, bo'il aramid? He now explains it. Ba'cheda Yehuda, the initial part of the pasuk, which says this, acting like a traitor. What's that, being a traitor? You know, a traitor not, not with a D, but with a T, right? Being a traitor, T-R-A. I T O R. You know, a traitor, you've, you've, you've been boged, zo avodat kochavim. That's a reference to avodat uh, zara, idolatry. You're, you're a traitor from God, you turned away from it. The Chenu Omen says, and so too we have a pasuk which seems to support that. Nirmiyahu ken begadetem bi bet Israel ni The pasuk describes over there avodat zara as a, uh, you moved away from me with that same word, bagad. The next part of the Pasuk uh, that we began with, the dream of Rav Kahana was, and there's some abomination of Yerushalayim that was done in Yisrael and Yerushalayim. What's the abomination? What's that terrible act of Zakhur. That's a reference to homosexual relations. How do you know? And so too the Torah uses that word The Torah specifically by the relations of, of, of homosexuality says it's a to'eva. Whatever that means in its fullest sense, at the very least, I can now plug it into this pasuk. To'eva and to'eva is a reference to homosexual activity. You might ask, but the Torah describes all wrongful actions with regards to uh, relations as to'evot. Don't loo like all the to'evot of the amim, of the nations of the land of Canaan. That's a general statement. This is the only one which is specified as to'eva. Okay, next. What does it mean when the Pasuk says they've taken away the Kiddushah, uh, yeah, the people of Israel? That's a reference to um, uh, uh, prostitution, harlotry. And so too you have a Pasuk along those lines in the Torah. It's a reference to inappropriate being mafkir atzmo or atzma leba'ila, just opening yourself to everyone and anyone for inappropriate relations. Uh, lastly, says the Pasuk, Uba'al bat el nechar. Pasuk says, and they've done relations to the daughter of foreign gods. That's a person who has relations with a woman who's not Jewish. Has relations with a woman who's bo'el. El nechar. That's an interesting bat el nechar, the daughter of foreign gods. Okay, that's the description. Uchtiv batre. Now here, coming to our punchline with regards to Rav's response to Rav Kana. Keep in mind, the question was, what happens if the Kanaim weren't pogei and the person who did one of these sins? What does it say in the next pasuk there in Sefer Malachi? Yachret Adonai la'isha she'yasen er ve'onem First and foremost, the Pasuk says, We hear a word in that. Cut it. He's cut off. It's almost. But furthermore, there's a description of how that person's cut off. So again, pause. We already got half of our answer. What happens to the person who committed one of those sins mentioned in our Mishnah, or at the very least, where the Kanaim weren't Pogea? Cut it. So we can't do anything any longer. What's that? It's Doreshit from Pesukim. It's Doreshit from Pesukim. That's not, of course, by Pinahas, it was public. Uh, it's not to say, 
it, it's not to say that it's permitted otherwise. The Gemara will very clearly at the bottom of our Amud tell us it's not permitted. It's a talk of Kanaim Pogin, well, it's only in that circumstance. Says the Gemara over here, Im Talmid Hacham Hu Lo Yelo Er Bahachamim Veone Betalmidim. Im Kohen Hu Lo Yihielo Ben Magish Minhal Hashem Sevaot. The Pasuk describes that he won't have an Er Veone. Er means he's awake. One means he's responding. It's a reference to the children. If the person is tamit hacham, it's not going to have children who are awake amongst the hachamim. They instead, uh, so to speak, and be sleeping amongst the hachamim. The Gemaran Dafayin Aleph here in our Masech, talked about a person who falls asleep amongst the, uh, uh, amongst the rabbis in the Midrash. Not a very uh, flattering circumstance. A person who at the very least isn't awake intellectually and mentally, that's the type of child. He's not going to be able to be on A, won't be able to properly answer. Yeah, not only are you going to be cut off, your children as well. Your son won't be a Talmud Hacham or even able to hang out with the Talmud Hachamim. And then the Pasuk talks about how he won't be able to be uh, dealing with the sacrifices in the Mikdash. That's a Fisa Kohen. A child won't be able to, he won't be suitable for the Mikdash, says the Gemara. Let's go a step further, he says. Not only is there karet, not only is there bad consequences, understand the severity of your action. A person who has relation, no, but it was just a relation with this woman, had nothing to do with her religion, had nothing to do with her ways. No, it's as if you're marrying her Avodah Zarah. Where did you derive such a statement from, such, such a concept? Dichtiv. You, this is all if a Kanai didn't kill him. You're saying his children will be all right? Potentially. I assume he achieved some kapara immediately before his death. Uh, how do you know that if he's bo'il, iba'al kutit kilomit haten ba'dikhtiv, uba'al bat'il nechar. The pasuk says, and he had relations with the daughter of the foreign gods. Your father-in-law then is... A foreign god. That's what you've effectively done. You've gotten involved. Don't assume man, it's just my relationship with this woman. No, it's a relationship with this woman and her father. Who's her father? Foreign gods. Do foreign gods? Uh, is there such a concept as a foreign god? At the very least. Uh, furthermore, do they have daughters? Rather, that's a reference to a person who has relations with a kutit, with a non-Jewish woman, uh, the Gemara, or an idolatrous woman. Uh, the Gemara will now, because, and I'll just introduce it, because we just quoted a statement from Rabbi Hiyab Bar Avuya, will just give us a statement that has nothing to do with what we discussed before we come back to our issue. It's, in the, it's a concept we already know from Daf Kof Dalit, Amen, Amen.